pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for this good morning. So many ways, Lord, already you have declared your love for us, and now we want to declare our love for you by opening your word, by opening our hearts, and Lord, would you open our eyes and our minds that we might know the truth and believe the truth and live the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. God is good all the time. I tried to do what the bumper sticker said, visualize world peace. It hasn't worked so far. I don't want to be like the cynic in the bumper sticker wars who tried to visualize world peace, you know, peace, world together. I think that's cynical, but I remember Longfellow wrote one of our Christmas carols, picks it up, but in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. If only it were as easy as visualizing it, if, if only it were as easy as, as lighting a candle as we have this morning, but then we see the Cincinnati and Xavier basketball teams uh, on the court last week and realize peace is very hard to find in the homes of our Hollywood and our athletic stars, we see that marriages are breaking up. Just yesterday, I was going to buy um, gifts in a long line at Toys R Us. Um, I had wanted to buy Barnes and Noble gift cards for my three nephews, 10, 8, and 6, stair steps as they are. But Melanie reminded me that they, they really loved the Nerf guns, the uh, war that they fought at our house the last time they were there. And And I couldn't help but visualize them shooting their father with Nerf darts. And so I was standing in line buying those. And I noticed there, even in Toys R Us, there's a section called the military section. What does this say about uh, world peace? We talk about peace for future generations. Let's look at the story of Jesus' birth and see that even when Jesus, who came to bring peace to the world, came into the world... There were forces arrayed against him and against peace. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 20. Let me read these words to you. Preserving peace. The Magi have left, thankfully. God has not When they had gone, the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, And refusing to be comforted because 
they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Thank you, you may be seated. Jesus was born during the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It was a halcyon time which gave the Magi freedom to travel from their land unhindered, unfettered, unharmed. They could go into the land where Jesus was born. There was a common language. There was a common currency. They all spoke and wrote in Koine Greek. There were so many good things that the Romans had brought into the world. But my friend Frank Pollard used to say the Roman peace came because the Romans were the best butchers. They were so good at overcoming other armies that they could enforce peace Jesus was born in that time, in the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world at the perfect time. In a time when Rome was trying to bring peace by military might, God had another plan, the plan of sending his only son into the world. But even as peace came into the world, Herod was there, a great Grinch of a man he was, Jafar wrapped up in scar with a little bit of Ursula the sea witch. He was that, that nefarious character who was always killing somebody who he thought was a threat to his throne. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that the coming of God's son into the world could be received in such a way. I mean, it's one thing for the world to, to lie in solemn stillness, to be asleep when its king came into the world, but another for somebody to be arrayed against him, somebody to try to kill him. But that's the story. And Matthew's story is a story of, of dreams that came true and and promises and prophecies fulfilled from the scriptures. That's, that's his story. It's a story of Jesus coming and, and those who tried to kill him, but God prevailing because greater than any Grinch is our God. He will not allow Christmas to be stolen. And so he intervenes through a dream and sends Joseph and Mary and Jesus down into Egypt, away from the promised land. It's hard to understand why God's people would ever go back to Egypt, but there they are in Egypt. We know at that time in Egypt there was a community in Alexandria, for instance, of over a million Jews. It was not as though they were in isolation there, but as we read, we wonder, will they ever, will they ever return? But the day comes when Herod dies and Jesus returns. And I read these verses this week, and I confessed in our worship planning meeting, I said, you know, I just don't know if this fits. Here we are dressing up little babies. We're going to dedicate 10 in the next service. It's a terrible day to talk about Herod and, and, and babies, and, and yet maybe this is the best day. And all the way through Thursday, I had a perfect sermon planned. It was a, it was a moralistic kind of sermon. I was going to say to you, if you want to protect your children from the harm of the world, this is what you have to do. What Joseph did, just, just pluck them up and run away. Build an ark or something. Get away from the evil of the world around us. And, and it was Friday morning when I realized that's not what the gospel says. That's not what this story is about. 
It's true that Herod tried to harm Jesus, and it's true that God delivered his son, but, but it was Herod the great son, Herod Antipas, who was there, who mocked Jesus on the day before he was crucified. God's son was not ultimately safe. His life had to be given so that we might live. God's son had to die so that we could live. And if you'll receive it, our children and we will have to experience pain as well. There's no getting away from it. There's no escaping it. The truth is we'll endure difficulty, but God is so great that as he redeemed the crucifixion of his son through the resurrection, he is able to redeem the pain in our lives and the lives of our children so that they will be not just safe for a season, but saved for eternity. I came this morning to tell you that God sent his only son so that all of our sons and daughters might also become his children. And the only way for that to happen was for the child who was born and placed in a manger to be nailed to a cross and placed in a tomb and to rise again on the third day. And I love about our God that in order to preserve peace, he, he is able to give us wisdom to protect our children. And you don't need me to tell you, if you've been reading the news, that there are people out there who would, who would harm our children. It's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? But here is Herod, who had a history of that. You can read it in Josephus. He was always putting somebody to death. He was so determined that there would be sadness in Jerusalem on the day that he died, that he already had given orders on the day he died. They were to assemble 30 of the most prominent people in Jerusalem in the Hippodrome and kill them so that the people who wept on that day, at least there would be weeping on the day when Herod died. That's the kind of person we're dealing with. And there are people like that in our world and there are viruses and tumors and illnesses and things that harm even children and even children are not exempt. I've been to the, that section of the cemetery more times than I can count, more times than I ever wanted to because children sometimes are harmed. Who would kill children? I was at one of those Christmas parties this week. There was another white elephant thing. I think it's universal in Tallywood Christmas parties. And I was at one of those and Melanie took two gifts to this party. And so, so there, were, there were two numbers for us. She took one. Casey was supposed to take the other, but she doesn't like to be the center of attention. And so she handed her number to me. I was busy drinking my wassail when they called number 12. I didn't know what anybody had gotten, but everybody showed me their gifts, or at least some of them did. Some were hiding them, but, but you know, you can take somebody else's gift. It's about stealing. It's a very Christian way to celebrate Christmas, I suppose. And one lady said, here is a great steel tin of chocolate Christmas cookies from Europe. And oh, oh, and she said, wouldn't you like to have, there's a beautiful Santa bag that it goes in for your wife. I don't know why she was trying to get rid of it, but I gladly took it away and, and went over there. It had only been stolen once. It was just a few moments later that a little cherub of a child, little blonde-haired two-year-old walked over and pointed at my cookies. I was holding them tight. It was hard. What did Corey Ten Boom say? 
Um, that we should hold precious things loosely because it hurts when our fingers are pried away. It, I gave up my cookies and then, and then I got some beautiful bowls from Melanie, but somebody stole them and I realized that the cookies had only been stolen twice. I walked across the room and looked at that beautiful little blonde-haired girl. <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna tell you what I did, no. I, I just couldn't steal from a child. I just couldn't do it. I opened another gift. It, it was Godiva chocolates. It, you know, it all worked out, but, but then Melanie had a chance again because somebody stole her gift, and I said, get the cookies. No, I didn't, I didn't say that. You know, the great thing about my wife is she actually is a Christian, and, you know, she wouldn't steal cookies from a... Who would harm children? But here is Herod who's trying to harm a child, and it's, it's God's wisdom given freely to Joseph, another dream, get up and get out because there are times when we have to protect our children because there's harm. Some of you have told me how you had to leave parts of our country, maybe even parts of your family to keep your children safe from harm. That's the world we live in and thank God for that kind of wisdom and pity those who won't receive God's wisdom. Larry Heslip was up late one night this week and pulled down something on Google and sent it to me. One woman was saying how proud she was that she had never imposed religion on her children and how her four-year-old son had not turned out to be so devilish after all and as, and as she imagined it, he was going to be just fine and at the end she says, so far though I think we're good so God, if you're out there, I hope you get where I'm coming from. I'm taking a pass on God for now. And I thought, what if our kids grow up with every good thing our culture has to offer and miss Jesus Christ? What if we keep them safe and they die at a ripe old age, but they never come to know Christ? Won't they be lost for all of eternity? And that's worse than any harm that the Herods of this world could ever inflict on them. And it's not just our children. In some level, as John Donne said, no man is an island entire unto itself. We're related to each other. Each of us is a part of the whole. If the bell tolls for anybody, it tolls for you. And if anybody's child is harmed, aren't we all harmed by that? It struck me this week when I saw that Butch and Nell Green, new CBF missionaries here in town, are, are working with the human trafficking industry trying to deliver these children out of that trafficking. We're a hub of that. Houston is a hub of that. And one of our families picked that up and, and they said, we need, we're, we're rescuing these young girls from this lifestyle and some of them who are at risk for it. But when they come to our meetings, many of them are hungry. I wonder if there's a, a church that would provide meals. And one of our families said, we'll provide a meal each week and we're going to recruit six other families so that those children will not go hungry. I think about a friend of mine whose daughter has gone down into Egypt as a missionary. The Arab Spring was a dangerous time for Christian missionaries. I asked him, is she going to come home? Is she going to come home? He said, well, she can't come home. I said, well, why not? He said, well, she's adopted a son, an Egyptian son. And if she comes home, she has to leave her boy behind. So she'll live a life of danger and risk so that she can save the life of a child. 
God still speaks if we will listen. Our God is able to give us wisdom to protect our children. But at the end of the day, this is the greatness of our God to preserve peace. He will somehow redeem even the pain and suffering that we inevitably endure so that he can bring his message of the gospel into the world. That's why when we look at these children in our preschool area, our hope for them is that God will make them the next generation of missionaries, that he will send them out. We're, we're praying that God will use them for his kingdom. I know you're thinking if we can only get them into Harvard, but what we're thinking is if we can only get them into him. And so we're intentional about that as a church. Early in the new year, we will talk about praying together as a family, a series of sermons in worship, preparing us to teach our children how to pray in our homes because they can't, they can't be safe without their parents being saved. They can't learn about God unless their parents teach them about God. And it's true, Jesus was safe from Herod the Great, but there was, after all, Herod's, Herod's son, Herod Antipas. There was, after all, a Roman puppet named Pilate who condemned Jesus to death. And I came this morning to say Jesus had to die so that we can live. Don't miss that at Christmas time. He had to die so that we can live. Just in our city, in MD Anderson, on Thursday this week, Christopher Hitchens died. You probably didn't even know. I didn't know he was even in town. But Christopher Hitchens, the great atheist, died this week. And it was interesting to, to read what he said about his suffering, about his cancer. He, he said, sometimes I wish my suffering meant something. I wish I could suffer on behalf of something greater. I wish that my death could do something good for somebody, but alas, I'm just an endangered cancer patient, he said. And I wondered as I read those words, if the atheist ever came to understand before he died that there was a death that meant something. That Jesus Christ's death was not in vain. That his death procured our peace. That he purchased our peace at the highest price. He gave his life. He was wounded for our transgressions, the prophet Isaiah wrote. And Jeremiah said there was weeping when the children died. And, and Matthew picks that up and imagines Rachel who died there in Bethlehem weeping on behalf of the children. They say the shortest short story ever written by Hemingway was the one that simply said, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Six words showing us the pain of suffering and the weeping in our world. And, and the truth is Jesus' death comes to redeem even that. Not only did Jesus have to die so that we can live, but if you'll receive it, our children and we will have to die to ourselves so that we can live for Christ. It's the only hope for our kids. It's the only hope for the world. Well, they will suffer. It's inevitable. They will endure difficulty and hardship and and a, a young woman who has a beautiful last name, Gottlieb, which means God's love. Gottlieb, uh, she wrote a, a story in the Atlantic. Maybe you saw it where she talked about the cult of self-esteem. And self-esteem is a good thing, but the cult, the worship of self-esteem is not a good thing. And, and she said, I wonder if, we, if we're doing our kids a disservice by keeping them from ever 
stubbing their toe, ever rescuing them every time they ever get in trouble, protecting them from the mean and nasty people in their, in their classes, never telling them they ever have any limitations. I wonder if in our protection, she says, we're not doing them great harm because what we want is for them to grow up and to be happy adults and more importantly, to be adults who make us happy. But unless they endure difficulty... They may never understand the grace of God that redeems that difficulty. Eric Little, the hero of Chariots of Fire, who became a missionary to China, who died of a brain tumor, had a a thought on this. He described described the suffering and the pain in our world. I think we have it there. He says, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins. Our broken lives are not lost or useless. God's love is still working. He comes in and takes the calamity and uses it victoriously, working out his wonderful plan of love. I read all the way through 20 because I wanted you to see that Herod died and that Jesus returned. And at the end of the day, this is our only hope that someday the Herods of this world who would do harm, they will die. And Jesus will return out of Egypt I called my son and God's son returns I saw it in the story of Laszlo Tokes you may have heard of Vaclav Havel the, the Czech Republic a great hero of the revolution uh, at the end of the Cold War he he died uh, yesterday and then I I read uh, also of Laszlo Tokes, that great Romanian pastor who in that same period of time was imprisoned and mistreated by Ceausescu and then and then one Christmas, he was in exile in a little mountain village church, and, and he, he bolted the door behind him because they were arresting dissidents like him again. They were causing problems on Christmas of 1989. It was Christmas Eve. He was thinking, what will I preach on Christmas Day? He read Luke again. He read Matthew again. He came to this text, The Death of the Innocents. Because he said that had more to do with what was going on in Romania at that moment than anything else. And he prepared his message only to be awakened on Christmas morning by bells ringing, chiming the sounds of carols for the first time in 44 years. Ceausescu had been arrested. And he said Christmas was a rich and resonant embroidery for us that year. Because that year, all the truth of Christmas came true. Herod had died, and Christ had returned to Romania in the worship of his people. That's what we mean by lighting these candles. We we don't mean all is well with the world, but we hear the words of Longfellow when he says, then peal the bells more loud and sweet. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, for peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise of peace. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And help us, I pray, to trust, Lord, that Christ will return and that when the King returns, he will have healing in his hands. We trust this truth and we give you thanks in Jesus' name.